Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Very nice. Very nice. Pour like Chardonnay. It pour- <laughs> that sounded like Chardonnay, didn't it? It sounded exactly like Chardonnay. <laughs> and Chardonnay does have a sound, right? I think so. It's a little bit deeper, richer, um, right. more rounded sound than yeah. a rosé or Sauvignon Blanc. <laughs> is that an imported <laughs> bottle? Uh, imported from Was it Chinese from class? Vallejo, I think. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Fairfield. Wherever, the, where's, wherever glass comes That's from. That's just a distributor. <laughs> yeah. Probably either uh, Mexico, Probably or, Mexico or, or China. China. Yeah. Yeah. Well, welcome to the winemakers. We've, uh, <laughs> I know, we do it. When, when John's on assignment. High energy little, intro. Uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> we, we needed, Cold open. We needed Paul <laughs> to do our intro. <laughs> yeah. You know, I would love to do that one time is just to have Paul every once in a while just comment like every 15 minutes go, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we just, we should just get like a little sounder, you know, a little soundboard where you can just have random Paul I phrases. would have so much fun with that. <laughs> What's funny is, you know, in, in like three or four weeks after this episode comes out, Paul's going to mention this to me because he'll have gotten to listen to it and be like, hey. <laughs> hey, I got this thing. <laughs> Let me show it to you. When we are, we're here up at uh, uh, Chateau de Bart, yeah. uh, up on Sonoma Mountain, we've got... Uh, Bart Hansen from Dane Cellar, Sam Katuri, and we've got Hawk Waka Waka in the house. Hawk Waka Waka in the house. Yeah. And this has been a long time coming. Yeah. You know, well, I think it's because maybe I was organizing and when I organize things take longer. Well, and you had the baby. Now you can focus oh, on right. one other thing. Yeah. Yes. And I think we actually canceled <laughs> on you one time, didn't we? Yes. Yeah. Very bad showing on our part. Huh. It, it was, you know, misunderstanding. It, you know, it happens. Yeah. <laughs> I do think it's important for listeners to know, though, that um, you have a f- in the home, first name. the home that we're recording in has its own soap. The soap is actually <laughs> really the soap has actually been carved to include the homeowner's last name. That's pretty impressive. I haven't actually seen that before. That's wow. some Trumpy shit. I, I, well, I travel. <laughs> I travel the world, and I have never seen last name monogram soap in the house before you know so. yeah i, I mean, didn't I realize think that we were was in such like a special place i think part. that was like a wedding gift from my wife's mother or my <laughs> mother-in-law like two, two pallets yeah. of monogram <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly no they just have really dirty hands right. here yeah. well, <laughs> or you can tell how how rarely people wash their hands in our, <laughs> yeah, exactly. in our powder room it was actually like five bars 10 years ago <laughs> <laughs> i have never noticed that before right. That's like, funny. apparently you don't wash your hands <laughs> i you know join brian casey at sante this <laughs> evening <laughs> <laughs> Just button up and go, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that concludes Pod Winemakers Podcast and <laughs> Hygiene episode. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> well, Sam, why don't you? Um, okay. th- we'll, we'll let you take over and introduce the guest I mean, uh, I, in a proper. Uh, in a proper so our fashion. guest uh, Elaine Hawkwakawaka Chuck and Brown. Did I? I think I pronounced everything right. Um, really, a world-renowned wine writer. Um, Came to sort of wine um, prominence through these uh, sketches. She would sketch out, you'd sketch out your tasting notes. And um, it was kind of as social media and wine were coming together and Instagram and all these things. And they were highly social media pieces and everybody wanted to get 
their wines drawn by by our guests. So, um, you know, from that, you know, through social media, began to you know follow her, and and then turns out she lives in Sonoma. And really, I think the first social media interaction that we had was when you were like, "I'm piecing out of Eighth Street East. The fire's coming down the hill, but um, follow Sam." Um, so that's and that's kind of where. I think our friendship started. Um, yeah, because the yeah. thing was, there were only a few people locally that had actual inside accurate knowledge about what was going on with the fires. Mm. And, you know, people that cared about the region and the wine industry were freaking out. And there were two or three of us trying to keep people more informed. And yeah, there was some bad media that... There was really bad media happening. And not all of it malicious, of course. Like, some people just didn't have enough right. local information understand what they were reporting and so a few of us were doing what we could to kind of help clear the story and when i finally had to leave the area right. i encouraged people to follow you but then i was also keeping up from a distance because i could read through what was accurate and what wasn't right. and, and reposting that right. that way too so uh, needless to say a uh, journalist wine writer philosopher uh, commercial fisherman Fisher woman, Fisher person. I don't know what you're supposed to say these days. Uh, yeah, I noticed you have an Alaska license plate on your you're car. You're not supposed to, you're not supposed to that say publicly. that publicly. Oh, I've only I been here two and a half weeks, and so, you know, it's still legal. It's fine. Just brought the car down the Alcan you know, recently. That, yeah, <laughs> that, that, st that car lives in, you know, Nevada and elsewhere, and right. only comes in here every once in a while. So, yeah, <laughs> totally fine. Absolutely, totally illegal. <laughs> so, and really, you can, you can read... Elaine uh, and Janet Robinson, all kinds of like you know wine media that's way more pr uh, prestigious than um, the Winemakers Podcast. So we're honored to to have you here, and you know um, you've become you know a, an expert in in Chardonnay, um, especially California Chardonnay, old school California Chardonnay, New Zealand, Oregon, uh, really all over the world. Um, so I, I but. Um, maybe one of the more interesting sort of origin stories into wine and how it all came about. So maybe you could just sort of um, start there. What, where did you decide I'm going to be a wine writer and how did that, how did that happen? Cause I know it was, you know, not where you started your journey. <laughs> yeah. So I actually grew up commercial fishing for salmon in Alaska, which is where the Alaska reference comes from the totally legal, absolutely okay <laughs> right. Alaska reference. Um, yeah, so my family commercial fishes and has all the way back. My daughter's actually fifth generation commercial salmon fisherman. I started at the age of nine in Bristol Bay, Alaska, became an owner of my own operation at 13, and then decided it was time to retire and, and live a chill life at 23. So I sold my operation, left Alaska, and... Um, just decided to try everything I could get my hands on because Alaska had always felt really remote to me. So I trained camels for four years, worked as a 1-900 psychic for a while, was a massage therapist for a little bit because it was the 90s. That's oh, what everybody did. Can we hold on for one second? Yeah, yeah. I want to know what's going on in, <laughs> with Brian. I think we need a Well, this 1-900 this, this psychic thing, when you get... Okay, so number one, where is this? Where is this that you I get hired for I was living in Santa job? Cruz, California at in the Santa time. Cruz. You can imagine it's Which is where all the 1-900 psychics <laughs> are, right? And then them there, is yeah. there an ad in the paper that you're responding to that says we need... Yeah, I had, so I had... Um, unfortunately, my... Life story just keeps getting more detailed and distracting. So when I was 18, I had to have reconstructive jaw surgery, and I couldn't work or go to school for half a year to recover. And 
So I decided I had this half a year of time that was just lost, which meant I had free free reign to do anything I wanted rather than anything I felt obligated to do. Mm -hmm. So I should come up with something to learn that I would never do otherwise. So I taught myself how to read palms, tarot, taught myself numerology, and read a bunch of stuff on astrology, stuff like that. And all that stuff is real. Oh, totally real. Yeah, no. Okay. I, as real as my <laughs> totally you. legal license plate. <laughs> okay. So uh, so anyway, I um, took like six months and taught myself how to do stuff like this. And then um, years later, I was realizing I was going to take a break from college and, um, you know, was just not going the traditional route at all and was curious just to find out how things worked anyway. And I had done readings for friends and psychic readings for friends and stuff like that. And so I saw this ad, 1-900-PSYCHIC, and it, and so I was like, what the hell? I, you know, at the very least, I'll have this really funny, interesting That's, phone call when yeah. I call and are like, so what's up? What, how do I become a 1-900-PSYCHIC, you know? If you, if you really are qualified, you should know anyway, right? Right. <laughs> right. Well, psychics specialize too, okay? okay, just, okay. just like a wine writer might like specialize in California Chardonnay or California wine, a psychic, you know, can help you with numbers or some other one only knows about grandmas or, you know, right. you know right. come on, let's be fair. They don't I have to know it. everything. Okay. So anyway, I called and the woman decided to interview me on the spot to see if I was qualified and had me give her a psychic reading. Ooh. And I, um, her boss was also listening and I inadvertently uncovered a bunch of stuff that was uncomfortable for them to have to hear at the same time. Wow. And so they hired me. <laughs> was it like a love right. triangle or something? Oh, totally. God, like, nice. you know, <laughs> an affair in the office and, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, so it was unfortunate for them, but they hired me anyway. And so I did this for like half a year because um, I could do it, you know, in the evenings, um, or did you just do it at your house so people? Yeah, so, so people they, just, they somehow just, did it so it connected to your. Yeah, number. yeah, I would just call into a number and mm -hmm. then it would route. So then calls would route to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you find a lot of the guys were just looking? They were lonely and looking for there someone were to a talk few to. Of them? Those there were a few of those. Um, what the best? <laughs> best. I actually had totally forgot about this call, but this one woman again, psychics can specialize, right? So this woman called me and she wanted to know what was going to happen with her water service. She's in Florida, and she was having all these issues with the city water. And I don't specialize in city water needs, you know? <laughs> so she called, and I realized, oh, my God, I have no idea what to say here. And the woman just goes, ma'am, you are completely full of shit and hung up. <laughs> and I was like, well, yeah, no, that's probably true. I'm going to go get some orange juice yeah. to feel better and, and move on. And wait for my next call. If you're calling a 1-900-PSYCHIC about your water service, I think um, just boil it. Boil your yeah. water before boil you water. use it. Maybe um, patience. Maybe yeah. buy, buy some bottled water yeah. for a while. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so that so, but how much did they pay? Oh God, I think it was it was like ninety nine cents a minute or something. This was this would have been back in probably like ninety four. Um, yeah. So or were you encouraged to keep them on on the line like as long as yeah, possible? Yeah. No, the the owners of the company definitely that was their goal was you to keep them on as long as possible, and I never felt right about that. So yeah. I would try and answer more directly but then some people just wanted to keep talking so i mean the weirdest call i ever got was it turned out that a woman who was a sorry <laughs> to even keep straight face but it's true a uh, woman that was a psychic advisor to the police department i can't remember what part of the country she was in but she called because 
uh, you know, psychics need help too. So, yeah. Get a second so she, yeah. And I ended up hearing all these facts of the case and her asking me to read into what was going on. And it was actually really, it was pretty freaky and weird. And then she ended up feeling really strongly that I had helped her get clearer. And so wanted us to keep in contact so she could keep using me as her, you know, the psychic advisor to the psychic advisor. Well, to yeah, the and you're thinking right. uh, that's all going on some like mun- somewhere, somewhere in, in, you know, like the, in the United mid nineties uh, budget for some police station was one nine hundred psychic calls. Yeah, that's amazing. Pretty crazy. <laughs> pretty well, yeah, and you could uh, you're thinking, well, I could end up on Montel. Like this oh, could man, be a I whole career, right? <laughs> I wanted to go all the way to those late night TV shows right. that come out of New York, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's that's psychic big time, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that was the real goal, but I finally I decided it was time to change careers again, so went back to camel training. <laughs> and, and and I'll ask, where was the camel training at? So, that was actually the favorite thing I've ever done, and um I kind of when I'm really tired and I daydream about leaving what I do now I'm right. it's always back to camels so I lived in Santa Cruz for six years and for four of those years I worked full-time at this uh, animal therapy program it was a an exotic animal ranch so it's animal therapy program that worked with physically disabled students and so I was there doing everything ranch maintenance training animals feeding all the hoof stock taking care of birds working with students making sure they were safe Digging ditches, birthing animals, burying animals, the whole range. So, you know, um, here in Sonoma, the Lion Ranch? Do you know Rob and Robin Lions? Yeah, I haven't met them. I'd really yeah, love they, to go there, though. Oh, well, I can set you up. They live That's just up great. the street here. And, yeah, they Is take the their ranch camels. right up the street in here? Yeah. They take their camels down to... Um, oh, I've uh, been there where hospital. they have camels. Up, oh, yeah, and they kid. take the they take Shit. the camels into the elevators and go. Yeah, see, no, totally. Yeah, so no, we'll camels actually are up. amazing animals. They're incredibly intelligent, and so if you know how to train animals, they're actually quite easy to work with. Yeah, and they actually keep you out of trouble because they know how to problem solve. So, like wow. horses, if something starts to go wrong, they completely they freak just, out. They and just it, run, and it really comes down to how good the rider is. Right, but right. with a camel, the camel's as smart as you are, and so if you start getting into trouble, they're going to help fix it too. Wow, that's yeah. really fascinating. Yeah. yeah, but I just love that whole the whole range of things. You know, I like learning lots of stuff. I like being able to do lots of stuff, sure. and so you know, I was learning how to train animals and work with camels, but I was also working with students yeah. and getting to know people with very different lives than I had. And the owner director of the program became a good friend of mine and was my mentor for over 20 years and wow. really just that's kind cool. of changed my life. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Animals, powerful, powerful. They can do. Yeah. Well, and you, so you, you sort of, you grew up in Alaska, right? And instead of going away and going to a college for like a specific, um, you know, degree or something, you just kind of thought it would be fun to learn different things so you've done I mean you were a masseuse well you so I did go to school initially like initially I was I mean I was raised to understand you're supposed to go to university after high school and, right. and so I was doing what I was supposed to do initially but I realized when I was 19 uh, that I was paying all this money just to take whatever class I found interesting mm-hmm. and that that doesn't actually build into a degree so I, I so you were just kind of 
doing the fun take not the yeah, fun, I was but, full-time student I was working really hard but I was like taking I took like history of medieval witchcraft and but then also like 400 level Caribbean literature you know and then you know pre-calculus I was just like this is the stuff that's cool you know but those things don't smash together into a yeah. single subject degree and so I I did that for like two and a half years and I realized I suddenly realized what I was up to was wanting to learn as many things as I could. And it was a lot cheaper to do that on my own. Cause I clearly had the drive to learn. I didn't need the formal classroom to teach me how to. <clears throat> so I left school and then just, yeah, I just started trying stuff. And, um, yeah. And so then ended up finally, uh, after taking that break and just trying all kinds of stuff, there's all kinds of other things. I was a crystal cutter for a while. I, uh, studied metal smithing. So I worked as a jeweler for a little bit, um, hand cleaned antique rugs. Mm. Oldest thing I interacted with was from the 1500s. It was a tapestry that was being restored, wow. um, you know, from Italy that, you know, so it, people were just kind of willing to you know, cause I had the interest in actually working. So they were willing to, and I, to show me, cause I was also willing to learn and could follow through and stuff. Well, there isn't a job that you can find that's harder than being on an Alaskan that's the salmon fishing, fishing I had, boat. I, I mean, those are like, yeah. I had friends who in college who would go and work. Uh, that's like the hardest and craziest thing you could ever do. That's or the at least thing. Up it's there. like everything I've done since has at least on the physical level seemed easy in right, comparison. Right. But after about six years of just trying tons of stuff, I decided I needed, you know, I like tried so many different things. I, f I was like, okay, well the only next thing I could do is to find something that is a longer term thing to do. So I decided it was time to go back to school, get a degree and go to grad school. And I went back to finish my undergrad fully with the intention of going on to do doctoral work. And, um, I ended up, <laughs> I, uh, designed my undergrad so that I would e be equally prepared to go into either philosophy and MFA in poetry or um, medieval studies. And, um, <laughs> and cause you know, like that's what people do. And so, um, <laughs> gotta have a plan. What, yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> and, um, by then I also had a two year old. And so when I looked at my options for grad school of those three choices, the most practical was philosophy. And I had a two year old, and by then was an only parent. And so I needed to go with the most practical option. So I went straight into doctoral work in philosophy. And so worked as philosophy faculty, full-time, you know, a philosophy professor. This for is in Santa Cruz still? Or? No. So I ended up, I went to grad school at McGill in Montreal. And then um, realized I liked teaching at the state level. I liked the challenge of you'd get really highly trained international baccalaureate students. And then you'd get first generation students that were terrified they'd let down their family. And I just liked that range mm -hmm. and the challenge of trying to reach everybody in the room in a way that, um, kind of held the complexity of the subject, but was accessible yeah. even if they didn't have the background. A lot like wine. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> the thing. I yeah. think actually, because I had that view in my academic training, that the job, my job was to help people access a complex subject without yeah. dumbing it down, yeah, right. just to make it accessible instead. I think that's fed everything I do in wine. Because yeah. I take the same view in wine, like the only thing you need here is interest. You know, I think a lot of people inadvertently make wine sound complicated and yeah. inaccessible and Absolutely. elitist. And I think the more fun we can make it while still honoring 
how complex it is, you know, the more engaging it becomes. And so I just love that challenge in wine too. I think that um, you may have just summed up in two sentences what we've been trying to do in a, like a hundred episodes. <laughs> I mean, but that's, it. you know, we have this table of, of great wines in front of us that represent so many different things. It is such a complex and that's just scratching this tiny surface, right? It's such a complex thing um, that the challenge is, and we often, I think, in wine get ourselves caught in that. Um, the challenge is how to make it accessible to somebody who um, doesn't have the time or the resources or, you know, to devote um, to knowing all of it. And you can obviously never know all of it anyway. Or is intimidated. Um, or is intimidated by it, right? Because it's there's all these things and there's words that are hard to pronounce and places you've never heard of, um, yeah. you know, and pros, you know, and all this French, you know, um, it 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 scares people off. When at the end of the yeah. day, I I hope that the message that we sort of put forth um, first is that I hope you enjoy the wine. Right. Absolutely. Do you like it? Great. Well, what let's, else? Let's drink more of it. If you can't, <laughs> I mean, if you don't simple. get, if you don't get that, what nothing else matters past it. Yeah, because you know, at the end of the day, doesn't matter. You know what the storied history of the estate and the winemaker's family and the yeast and the barrels. Um, this is something that it's a drink. There's alcohol. It, it's fun. It's part of ritual and celebration and insights and conversation. It's, you know, it's having a good time, yeah. however that goes. Um, and that can happen from, you know, as Eric Asimov wrote about this week, it can happen from something that comes out of a can and it can come out of something, you know, that was bottled in 1929 um, and, and everywhere in between. If you, you know, can approach it that way. Right. If somebody doesn't scare you off first, but or, the, but or or judge you, you know, for yeah, what you're doing. Is that's so many people thing. are yeah, so many people are afraid of not saying the right thing or what people will think of them by what they're drinking, you know. But yeah. the thing is we you know, whatever we happen to be an expert in, there's other stuff that we know almost nothing about. And totally. And if we're curious about it, don't we want the chance to learn something in that, you know? So the more we can just share our excitement and share knowledge, I think yeah. the better. Yeah. I mean, that's, again, like Sam said, I mean, that's kind of what we're trying to do here is, is share knowledge and share the people that we know and that we meet their knowledge. So, cause trust me, we, we learn more than anybody right. on by doing this. The intro um, is local experts, you know, according to Ed. Well, I know, back how, in, I know back how to get in, to Bart's house. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm a local expert. Local well, expert. And now you know that monogram soap spec there for you to use. <laughs> right. To, I'm, I'm thinking about asking for a bar to take home. I'm yeah. going to, I'm going to, uh, that's the last one. Yeah. I'm going to raise yeah. the bar at my house. <laughs> They've had it since the Bush administration. <laughs> Literally. The first Bush administration. Oh. <laughs> uh, that's whole, this is really but, it, fun. but I think it's important for people to know that... Are you they, guys judging me? No. <laughs> yes. As I look out at this beautiful view from the top of the mountain. I'm judging no. you because you have a horse and not a camel on site. He has a beautiful horse, though. Thank you. He is a beautiful horse. He's uh, 32 years old. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. Yeah. No, that's right. awesome. Can't make fun of the old horse. No, you know, he lives a pretty good life. My dream is life. to have a donkey retirement home. Yeah. You know, so I'll retire and the donkeys will retire. I'll just retire. Right. Feed them toast from the window. You know. <laughs> Do they like toast? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Donkeys are just so funny. They're they're 
they're smart, but not circumspect like a camel. So they'll figure out how to do stuff, but not be thinking about the consequences. And that's just a good huh. time, you know? Yeah. <laughs> sort of the equine dog. In the <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. You playing with the, oh, the thing. Sorry. I'm picking yes. it up on the, on, the, got it. on the thing. Thank you. You're not pointing at wine. What, it, what wine are you drinking, Brian? I'm not just leaving that rosé for a little while. Okay, that's I'm fair. Just kind of enjoying that. And that's a perfect example of what I, I think we're talking about is that I could talk about the rosé for a half an hour. Or right. we could talk 20 seconds about every single bottle of wine on the table. Right. Um, you can get as deep in or just make a brief well, comment. Well, I mean, and, and rosé is a great example of people, you know, we were talking on the earlier episode about uh, color, you know, and people see a color of rosé and some people presume that they know already what it is. Right. Um, you know, and, and in your rosé, this one, Sam, is different. And people would look at that color and they're going to taste it and they're going to go, well, that's not necessarily what I was expecting. Um, but it's delicious. Yep. Thank so. you. And now uh, we do have, a, uh, I think, a few Chardonnays on the table. I have not made it to the Altair yet. How, uh, how is it that you became some sort of expert on Chardonnay? So funny. Well, so going back to when I got started when, in wine, which was just 2012, I... Um, had a good friend that loves Chardonnay, but was always embarrassed to admit it. And, you know, because really, even now, there's still a lot of prejudice against Chardonnay. And and explain that. What do, what do you think that comes from? I don't know. I mean, it's like it became the shameful mom drink. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's all these jokes about the kinds of women that drink Chardonnay, and they're either the older woman that's now divorced looking for a young guy. Cougar juice. Yeah, or... <laughs> Or they're your mom who has a really boring life and Chardonnay helps keep her sane. Right. You know. Um, but anyway, so I, you know, I was aware of this and I finally realized my friend liked Chardonnay and she would kind of always be sneaking it in her glass when, you know, because she thought she was supposed to be drinking serious red wine in front of me or something. Yeah, were like you that. like the wine expert of your well, social group already? Wine. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know that much about wine, but in comparison to right. peop other people that only just would take the bottle someone gave them and drink it, right. you know, I, it seemed like I knew more. And so she, I realized she was embarrassed about wine. And then I invited her to come on a wine trip to California with me. And she was like, well, could, 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 uh, could we have some Chardonnay? And I was like, yeah, yeah, no, we'll do it. And so I we got set some it that. up <laughs> so that we visited these like preeminent Chardonnay houses along the way. And she was so happy, you know, and I mixed in the red wines I knew she loved and she was just so happy. And, it made me, it just sort of put something in my head that, you know, who are these people that take Chardonnay seriously as more than just these kinds of disparaging drinks that we talk about, you know, and, and in all this time that we've, as, as media at least, turned away from Chardonnay and acted like it's just a joke. There are these winemakers that are staunch. They stick to it. They're making really good Chardonnay. They're, they're serious about it. They're not just selling to... Um, these certain, you know, these percep social perceptions of it. And I just thought that was a really interesting story. So I just kind of would keep my eye out for it. And, and, and of course there's all these different styles. And so I was always keeping an eye out for that too. It's like, huh, what makes this person want to make it this way versus that way? And how much does the place plane in? I just was curious about it. And so I kept exploring it. And then after a few years of that, people, there was an event they needed someone that could talk about Chardonnay and I was kind of the only person publicly admitting that I followed it around <laughs> and so someone asked and then if I would do a seminar and so and then that went well and so then someone else asked if I'd do a seminar and just started building 
And then finally, um, I had done that enough that an international group was coming into California about two years ago now, and they needed someone to do a really serious seminar in Chardonnay that would make people rethink the, all those presumptions. And they asked if I would do it. And the um, they asked me, I don't know, several months in advance. And so I decided that my goal was to rethink how we present wine seminars and rethink how we present Chardonnay and just to tell a different kind of story. And so I created a seminar where we had two hours, only six wines, and I would pick six wines through which I could tell the full history of stylistic evolution of the grape in California. Super cool. Well, and it's really opposite of what most seminars in wine these days. I try and get as many wines in front of you as you can. It's kind of a survey overview of a variety or place. And for me, because of how I like knowing stuff about what I'm tasting, those always feel like this really fast smash of data points that I don't know what to, to do with because I don't know how they fit together. And I want, I was like, okay, I'm going to, if that's what bothers me about some wine seminars, I'm going to go the exact opposite direction. And I'm going to say the focus is context and these wines are just touchstones. Mm-hmm. And we're going to, you know, we're going to recognize and honor the specific wines, but they're there to tell a bigger story than just their own. And <laughs> so I designed that seminar and it turned out, to go really well, and it made people rethink how Chardonnay had actually helped grow the stature of California wine, like fine wine. And could you say what those three wines were? Well, so the original mm-hmm. six, six, and that, six. Yeah, what was yeah. the first one is what yeah, I was curious so st- about. Yeah, so I started with Stony Hill, because it's the first, yeah. um, you know, because the thing was I wanted ha- wines, I wanted wineries that really were committed to Chardonnay from the beginning, that were invested in legacy, and really invested in expressing where they were from. And so the original six, I started with Stony Hill, um, so of course gets us going on the Napa side. They really, simultaneously with Maya Comis, they were the first to knowingly plant Chardonnay in Napa Valley. Turned <laughs> out we accidentally had it around the valley at the time, in the 50s, but we didn't know that. And Inglenook had a bunch accidentally interspersed with their Riesling, but didn't realize that's mm-hmm. what it was. Um, but also, if you think about the timing, historically, people didn't care about varieties like they right. do now. Right. They just made white wine or red wine, you know. And then um, Hansel really helps get it going on the Sonoma side, so that was the second wine. And then um, I was trying to do regional pairs at that time, too. So I was also had um, HDV, Abba and Clement, Dumal and Sandy, Sandy wines. Um, mm-hmm. And so we got some like three major regions and a uh, real mix. And then as that seminar went so well, I kept getting asked to redo it. And so, But every time I redid it, I would like kind of strip it bare and say, let's assume everything's up for grabs. I, nothing is to be repeated. I have to rethink the whole thing. Okay, but when I do that, what do I realize has to stay? You know, and every time... Sandy and Hansel came, or uh, rather, Stony Hill and Hansel came back, and that idea of historical evolution came back. Right. And so, so the most recent time I did it, the 50 MWs from 16 countries did a 10-day tour of California in October, and the Institute of Masters of Wine asked if I would do that seminar for them. And so that time I redesigned it. Again, still that historical look of evolution of style, but I did it in terms of three historical brackets, each with three wines. And so it was like the founders, 
um, the evolvers and the contemporaries. Cool. So how I cool. That. Yeah. Really, really interesting. Yeah. I wish well, I could have been there. Well, yeah. and Chardonnay, I mean, d- I think there's a couple reasons why it, you know, has a little bit um, more of a mystique or whatever you want to call it is number one, it's like the, the mystique of Burgundy. So people are, you know, Merceau and Montrachet and, and Chablis. But then also it's the use of oak. I mean, when you're yeah. taking a white wine and you're putting it in new French oak, now you're talking about substantial investment in, in the wine as opposed to something like a Sauvignon Blanc or a Rosé that you put in stainless steel and release in the next year the where you're getting instant returns. So then it becomes like a more serious wine, a more serious topic. Um, but I don't, I don't know why anyone would be ashamed of drinking Chardonnay just because they think it's sort of become the, you know, oh, everybody drinks Chardonnay. That's sort of like, is that like the new attitude out there of, amongst millennials? And I'll look at you, Sam, is that, you know, we're supposed to be drinking... Um, Chenin Blanc or Alvarino or yes, you are <coughs> Grenache Blanc and right. Well, it's it's more of I think a lot of as we've been told a lot of millennials like the idea of um, discovering something and sharing it with their friends and it's not drinking what your parents drank correct and, and so you, you, it's very hard to I mean now maybe they're opening themselves up to Chardonnay but it's certainly not probably um, Kendall Jackson Vintners Reserve right, right. it's um, it's the Sandies and the, the as you called the people who are, who are evolving it or constantly evolving it. Well, there's know? there's definitely a return to classics happening at the same time we're looking for weird. So I do actually think the you know millennials are getting lots of press these days with big huge claims about what they do and don't do. Right. And actually, I I think it's more dynamic than how we often speak of it and the classics really are getting regard too, because there's kind of you know, like who's lasted, you know, what, what's made them last, you know? So I always think of Ridge as the prime example. Ridge really s- helps enter the second wave post prohibition in California wine. But a lot of people helped us enter the second wave, but Ridge is the one that stayed and is still relevant, is internationally respected. They make what many people around the world consider to be one of the best wines in the world, Montebello. And they also make some of the most historically I- important wines in California, you know, with Geyserville being the other one. Um, and that but they've also, vineyard. sorry, they've also been true to their Absolutely. history. Absolutely. And so Absolutely. many, and so many places haven't, you know, whether it's been through a winery being sold or, you know, lack of a better word, greed and growth, you know. I mean, Ridge has stayed true to their mantra. Well, the thing, the, the thing that Ridge also, I think, offers us as a lesson in the wine industry is that they recognized from the beginning that the only way to stay true to their stylistic commitments was to have a business plan that worked and also a business plan that was steady. And so they committed to not excessively growing, to not growing too fast, to only making what they could manage, but to also keeping the heart of that their own farming while diversifying some of that risk through investing in smart growers in there right. around different areas too. And so they literally have never had a year where they've lost money. Hmm. They don't make a lot of money, but notice the implication is they're always getting through every year. Right. And so they're not putting themselves at the risk of outside influence and demand because right. of that. Yeah. They can commit to their stylistic goals yeah and they're not chasing trends they're yeah. staying true to what they do and yeah. if you can make money doing that because you're getting through the pendulum swings mm-hmm. that go back and forth in the market that's a that's a great business model there's a lot to be learned there 
Yeah. Yeah. We we have a listener who works in at Ridge, at least one, um, who came under the tasting room. I'm forgetting his name off the top of my head. Um, but the invitation, well, I I was working on it. How can we f- do an interview up there, Have find somebody to talk to? So maybe when they listen to this, they'll go, oh. I'll add it to my Sam to-do list. Yeah. I have a That's, Sam to-do is that, list. Is it, does it, does, <laughs> well, today we've actually checked something off the Sam know, to-do it's list. Awesome. It's awesome. Fuck yeah. yeah. <laughs> How long is this list, Bart? That's about five people right now. All right. All right. No, but We're the good. whole Ridge team is worth talking to. There's no. just deep history there. But the thing, the thing about Ridge, I sort of keep them as a model in my head um, of making sense of legacy and innovation and how those two things actually come together. That legacy is a winery that lasts, right? It's not just an old winery. It's a winery that lasts and stays relevant. And part of how they've done that is by having this history of innovation and exploration built around a strong center line of clarity, right? Right. We all know what Ridge is because they've kept that stylistic commitment we're talking about. But around the edges of that, they're always exploring what's the right way to do this, you know? So um, they're in the midst of making Pinot f- for the first time because Eric, the winemaker down at Montebello, lives next door to a really killer Pinot vineyard hmm. there in um, South Santa Cruz County and wanted to make wine from it. So he's been checking out different ways to do it. And huh. then from um, John, the winemaker at Linton Springs, he really wanted to have a racy, refreshing summer white. So they started getting Falangina from Mendocino. How cool is that? You know, yeah. and it's delicious. <laughs> it's yeah. so good. I shouldn't be telling you because I want it all for myself. I was say, I have really to get back good. on yeah, my, yeah. my Ridge uh, Wine Club again. <laughs> yeah, the, don't tell Brian about a racy uh, summer white wine because he'll buy it all. And I'm all about <laughs> Falangina too. My yeah. wife and I honeymooned in Italy and the Campania oh, awesome. wines were yeah, like awesome. the Greco de Tufo. And, and yeah. when Jillian Johnson was on from Onesta, I, know, I remember she made her Grenache Blanc with that intention of making sort of a Campania wine, something mm-hmm. that's got body to it but also has really nice uh, generous acidity yeah. to it um yeah i'm sure that'll be a small production wine available it is, only it is to, but uh, it, it's like it keeps them fresh for the main projects they have right you know? right that's fun when you can bounce out mm-hmm. of your bubble and and do cool little things and it keeps the employees interested too if, you know instead of just feeling like you're doing the same thing every yeah, year absolutely yeah and i still <laughs> haven't tried the auteur the auteur is good let try the tour. Yeah, let me pass it to you. Um, can I ask you about the drawings? Yeah, absolutely. And how the drawings started and um, when you're going to draw 16600. <laughs> you don't have to answer that on there. Um, so the, yeah, the drawings actually, that's how I got started in wine. So I started drawing, hand drawing illustrated tasting notes back in 2011. And, um, I originally started doing it because, like you said, in my friend group, I was the one that knew more about wine. And I just had this thing where I would smell the wine. I'd start going, oh, my God, and listing things I smelled. And for me, it was just fun. I wasn't, you know, trying to be an asshole. I just was into it. But my a friend of mine made this comment, just a quick aside at one point. He said, God, I wish you could be with me whenever I'm tasting or buying wine because it just makes more sense when you're here. Mm. And it, for some reason that clicked in my head and as this challenge, like there's got to be a way to make wine make more sense for someone like him that doesn't want to learn about it 
but doesn't want to be told all it's like five sentence tasting note of obscure spices that don't sound like they'd be good together, you know? <laughs> and um how are red currants and black currants different anyway? That's what I want to know. All right. I think red currants are more herbal okay. myself. But <laughs> see but, <laughs> <laughs> but um anyway, I just like really stuck in my head and it was this thing that just kept gnawing around back there and I was also in the process, so at the time, I was an academic, I was a philosophy professor, and I realized I was leaving, but I hadn't publicly announced that I had given myself to get a year, to get out of um, academia over the course of a year, so I could do it gracefully. But what that meant was, I was no longer doing all the future-paced part of my faculty work, because the teaching, the classroom time of a full-time faculty member is only about 20% of the total workload that you have working in a university because you're usually like doing all your research, trying to get published, trying to get into conferences to present, doing faculty training, mentoring other faculty members, r reviewing other people's books, planning future classes. And suddenly the only thing I had left were the classes I was literally teaching at the time. I needed something to fill all this space in my head that usually went to research and all this time on my hands. And so I got really into wine and just did like, hyper-intensive academic style tasting and research of wine. And this is in Montreal. This is in Flagstaff. So oh, Flagstaff. Yeah, so right I did my grad school. I did doctoral work at McGill in Montreal, and then I took a state-level job because okay. I like oh, teaching right, 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 state-level. Right. So I took that at Flagstaff, Arizona, Northern Arizona University. Because I was going to say, how do you get wine in Canada? I mean, that's the... You can. You can. Actually, it's challenging. Quebec, it's expensive. Quebec's a good place to get wine, though, because uh, it's mostly French. Uh, and so French and they have wine a liquor control board. Yeah, right. it's yeah, exactly. It's a provincial liquor control board, the SAQ in Quebec. Each province right. has its own. Uh, but in Quebec, most of it comes right from France, and so French wine is actually relatively inexpensive there. Interesting. Yeah. Note to self. Yeah, there's not right. a lot of US wine. And the US wine that is there is really Pretty expensive. expensive yeah. But but anyway, um, so I was drinking French wine and <laughs> go back, and then I moved to Arizona. I'm like, oh my god, what do I do? <laughs> what do I drink? They still had champagne, so I drank a lot of champagne. But <laughs> but anyway, I champagne. got got really into wine and was studying it to take up the research space I usually had in my head, you know. But then I needed to do something that wasn't so hyperverbal, hyper intellectual like philosophy had been. And so on a lark I started drawing. And I got so into drawing that I started joking I was gonna draw anything I ever did. But the <laughs> but the thing I spent what? most of my what? time what? on What do you mean by that? I just was like I just thought it was a funny it was just funny. I was like, I love drawing so much I'm gonna draw everything I ever do. So instead of like writing in a diary, you're just gonna draw pictures gonna of draw everything, everything you did during your yeah. day. You went for a bike ride, you draw a picture of a bicycle. Yeah. Right. And so um you know, or you could try drawing on the bicycle. That would be that would be God interesting, damn. you know. Right. Really get into it. Napa roads, not Sonoma roads. That goes right, back to exactly. last episode. <laughs> yeah. But um <laughs> You know, so I started Stabilizer. drawing. I started drawing different things for different friends. Like I had a friend who just thought a lot of my various life stories were really funny. So I started drawing memoir comics for her of the parts I knew she thought was funny. And then, <laughs> and then I would like draw my daughter's hamster for her and come up with. He like he was really good at escaping, and he would always cross the house and go to sleep in my high heels. Like this literally is true of the hamster. <laughs> And so I would I would wake up in the middle of the night because I could hear something and 
I would look over the side of the bed and he'd actually be down there, tiny, <laughs> tiny little guy looking up at me. And then he'd race to my closet and climb into like my Dior high heels and go to sleep. So he liked that angle of apparently sleeping, huh? it's that, really cuddly, yeah. sort of like yeah. hammocky, right. gotta yeah. settle in. <laughs> yeah. So I draw, you know, I draw. Smells like nice leather. I <laughs> draw Dior. a story from the hamster's point of view of you know hunting mom's high heels, basically. <laughs> um, anyway, so was it like a certain color that the he hamster really liked? liked? Dior, right? and he would, uh, maybe <laughs> really oh, a color Dior high heels. Or is that like a? So that's a brand. I mean, obviously, yeah, yeah, that's a yeah, brand. I don't a brand of, yeah, do a lot of but, high uh, heel shopping. Um, <laughs> I probably will at some yeah, point in my life. For whatever <laughs> reason, he tended to target the Dior high heels. So Must be. probably really good leather. You know. Yeah. Yeah. All right. But anyway, um, <laughs> craftsmanship. But anyway, at some point, you know. So my friend says, "I wish you're always around when I'm picking out wine because it makes more sense when you're here." And then I'm saying, "I'm going to draw everything I ever do." But what I spent most of my time on outside of teaching was wine. And again, I'm like troubling over there's got to be a way to make wine make more sense to people than them having to read this thing of tasting notes that don't sound good together and I was like oh my god that's it I'm going to draw wine and at the time now there's all this visual communication of wine happening which is great but at the time that wasn't happening yet and I knew I'd never seen anything like it but it didn't occur to me that that meant it hadn't been done you know and I was like, holy shit, this is such a great idea. I'm going to totally, I'm going to do this. And really it was just in earnest wanting to help my friends and people like them. So in August of 2011, uh, my friend said she wanted to make me my birthday dinner. And I was like, okay, sweet. I'll pick out the wine. And I picked out three wines and then started then. I was like, I'll just draw my birthday wines. That makes sense. So I drew my birthday wines and I did illustrated tasting notes just breaking, really tried to keep it simple so it wasn't overwhelming. And so just like draw an image of the bottle with the label on one side and then like smells like this, tastes like this, and what does it go with? And so I brought them in to show my friend who is the managing partner at a wine shop wine bar. And he was, he's really curmudgeonly hardcore, doesn't compliment anybody kind of guy, you know, perfect best friend to have. And uh, <laughs> keeps you in check. And, but keeps he also had an art degree. And cannot bullshit. Like, there's, it's impossible for him to say things that aren't true. So I took him these drawings just to show him. And the only thing he said, he looked at him and he handed them back to me. And he said, why don't you do one of those a week in exchange for a bottle of wine? Yes. I was like, the fuck just happened? You know? Because, like, for him, that's hardcore compliment, yeah. right? So I started... All of a sudden, you're sponsored. Well, so, yeah. right. And so, um, sponsored drinker, man. And so yeah. I... Um, would go in and I would just, he'd pour me a glass and I would draw it at the bar and scan it on my printer at home and then send him the JPEG and he would post it on his Facebook page advertising like his new glass pour or new bottle he got in or whatever. And within three weeks, the, they took off. They, um, I got mentioned on brain pick by brain pickings, which has, I don't know, a hundred thousand followers or something. Um, within, a month and a half or something, New York Times recommended my drawings. Uh, Eric Asimov did. Kerm the fourth week, Kermit Lynch called them a new standard in wine reviews. Wow. Hmm. Um, and I was just, and like I was getting emails from people in China, France, Argentina, Australia, uh, like within a month and a half of the first one going online. So this is all early, this is all in 2011. And, well, and I'm still finishing my academic career at this point. 
and it totally freaked me out. Like did, I did. Any of these people realize that you were like a philosopher? Nobody knew who I was. Teacher I in was, Flagstaff, Arizona, who had being, never done anything in wine before. They, they were all being done under the name Hawk Waka Waka because I still had an uh, academic career, and so I wanted professional anonymity. And the so way to nobody. do that was to make up a name. So I made up a name that made me laugh, Hawk Waka Waka. I thought that was super funny. It's got a little like Jim Henson kind of. Well, Muppet I wanted thing to a it. name that had gravitas and was ridiculous at the same time. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it turns out it's still completely entertaining because people find out I'm also Alaska Native, and then they hear Hawk Waka Waka, and they right. suddenly get really afraid of offending me. Well, and I like get to Inuit, watch them uh, dance around yeah. thinking it's my native name or maybe right. that's my spirit animal. Right. So every once in a while, I'll make sure they know I'm descended from shamans just to fuck with them. <laughs> I mean, I, I am. And it's really funny to fuck with them, you know? <laughs> um, Which is shamanic in its own way, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so, th- yeah, nobody, no, no, nobody knew who I was. These had never been seen before. Uh, historian of taste that specializes in wine told me they literally had never been like wine illustrated wine notes like that had literally never been published before i'm sure people have like sketched things about wine forever you know but turned out they had never been published before and so it just sort of took off which i had no i had no i had no idea i had no idea whatsoever but i started getting emails from people all over the world and then emails from winemakers asking if they could send me samples. And in the meantime, you know, so January, 2012, I closed my last academic contract, turned in the keys to my, to my office and my grades for the last semester I taught. I have no, I had no idea what I was going to do instead, but I had, it turned out I had inadvertently started my wine career because, <laughs> because while leaving academia, I was draw- doing these drawings and then once I kind of recovered from the deep fatigue of <laughs> being a only parent academic philosopher, I um, I'm actually still working on recovering from that. But you know, <laughs> got enough of got enough of my stamina back. I st- needed an outlet for the writing I was used to doing because I was used to having to study something and then output the ideas. And suddenly I w- didn't have any way to do that anymore. And so I started writing about wine. Um, probably February of 2012, but just casually on a blog. It was like I was so serious about studying wine. I just needed a place to put these things I was learning. And so I created the blog, Waka Waka Wine Reviews, just so I could put the drawings and the writing somewhere. And I didn't do any work to promote it. I wasn't trying to be discovered or anything like that. I just needed a project. And um, then that got found. And that's that's what got mentioned in the New York Times and recommended mm-hmm in different wine magazines. And then by 2013, wine magazines started contacting me asking if I'd write for them. Because I was just, I think between the drawings, which were a new way of seeing wine at the time, and then the academic approach to taking wine seriously to write about it, that was a new kind of voice Mm -hmm. too. And so that's sort of what started my career. And you were never doing like numbered scores or it was just, reviews and histories and yeah yeah so I yeah I mean for me the thing with wine was that it really serves that kind of insatiable curiosity problem I have you know so like going back to that early thing where I left college originally because I was I realized I just wanted to study everything I could do that on my own well wine kind of solves that for me it gives me a way to study everything through a theme you know 
so I can learn the history of a place, the actual about chemistry of wine and the biology of the plant and the and the both the geology and biology of the soils, but then also, you know, the wine culture of place. One of the things I love about what I do now, I actually speak about wine all over the world and get, develop and create unique seminars for people all over the world. And I love the challenge of that because I get to think through, okay, what's a unique way to present the subject that somebody's asking me to speak on? But now I get to think through, okay, but how do I communicate those ideas to an audience that literally speaks a different language? And so I can't just rely on our wine norms for communicating. So like in in January, I gave a seminar for a group that was here from mainland China, Hong Kong, Taiwan, and Singapore. And over the course of two hours, I had to figure out how do I communicate about the shape, feel, texture, flavor, sense of this wine in a way that makes sense for this particular audience, right? And so it ended up being a lot of things about like color tone, a lot of references to fabrics and a lot of kind of musical scale references were what mm. worked because mm. through those sorts of analogies, you can capture all kinds of things about mouthfeel and density. You can, you can differentiate between how winemaking techniques could make a Cabernet feel more like, you know, raw silk versus velvet silk, right? right. There's a density yep. difference there. But now you can also, with kind of tonal scale, you can get to uh, differences of like really edgy, coastal, cool climate Chardonnay versus like deeper toned, richer, riper inland Chardonnay. All you got to do is like shift that tonal scale. And now suddenly it may, you can think of what to expect. I mean, to hear you talk about it, it sounds, I'm not going to say simple, but it sounds very logical. But I mean, you're really thinking about it from outside the box and I mean there's a lot that goes into that I, well I, I, think, I think it's awesome thank you I think it really goes back to that original goal I had with philosophy I got into philosophy because I truly believed it could serve anybody if they just got a little bit of philosophy study right. it would bring a kind of clarity right. to a person's thinking that could help them make clearer decisions yeah doesn't have to change what decisions you make. It just helps you make them more clearly. Right. And having more confidence. Yeah. And because you know yourself better, you right. know, you know what your beliefs are and what you really want for yourself, you know, so it's easier to choose with integrity. And I really believed in that. And that was how I got into philosophy. But the only way to make that work was if I could teach in a way that made philosophy enthralling and accessible. Right. And it's, the, so it's the same thing with wine. It's like, Okay, you know, you're, if you have a mixed, essentially in a wine in a wine seminar, you you kind of have to plan that you have a mixed audience every time. You know, they're gonna have different levels of knowledge, different levels of experience with the exact subject that you're presenting on, whether it's a region or a variety or a style. And so you have to figure out how to capture the range in the room and make it available for all of them as long as they're interested. So that's I always think of that as my goal. It's like. I need to communicate in a way where the only thing you need is interest. It's fine if you don't want to know more about wine. You don't, like, there's nothing wrong with that. So if you don't want to know more about wine, shit, we'll just, like, eat and talk about dogs all day. Like, I love dogs too, man. I'm down <laughs> for know? that seminar. I mean, uh, I love wine, but... <laughs> but if you're in a wine seminar, presumably you do have interest. And so now I need to talk about it in a way that's inviting and accessible so you can get in the door and learn more. 
But even with with the same approach that you that you did with the teaching, though, it's it's engaging every single person in that yeah. room. So no matter what their level yeah. of knowledge is, that they're finding something interesting in what you're yeah. talking about. But the the way to pull that off is really simple. Actually, it's like you do things like let's say you're going to drop some of the French terms, right? You just quickly add in the English explanation right alongside right. it. So you right. say something like, oh, you know, so so-and-so is referencing tawar, you know, site expression. The tawar of this place really is just an expression of the site, and you just keep going. Yeah. You know, so I've just, like, said it twice so that everybody can catch it, but I did it really quickly so it's not taking up time. I'm not acting like it's complicated because it's not. We're right. just talking about what's the unique expression of this vineyard. And I've, like, answered the question before. You know, so now that person that hadn't heard that word before they can just keep going with me rather than if i make them wait till the end to ask what's terroir they've yeah. just worried for an hour about that one question and missed the whole rest of the seminar right 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 you know so it's just a really simple task of every time a slightly complex idea comes up you say it with its answer and keep going yeah and when you were hired to be a wine writer did, were they interested in having the pictures as well was that a part of what they were interested in? Uh, some people, yeah. I mean, origi originally, actually, I got approached, first several years, I got approached over and over and over again, people trying to, like, buy the Waka Waka concept, basically, mm -hmm. um, and, like, get, you know, hire Hawk Waka Waka to, like, brands, um, PR agencies, and distribution companies, and, and uh, magazines all tried to essentially buy Hawk Waka Waka. And I... That wasn't what I wanted to do. Um, I felt like the style of the Waka Waka drawings was too s recognizable. And so it really would be the equivalent of selling me. Right. Yeah. And, you know, like the thing is, if you're a designer, your style can shift with, you know, that's what you're paid to do. You're paid to create a style unique to that brand, whatever it is. But as an illustrator, your style is often specific to you. And so you have to, I felt that I had to agree with the project before I agreed to do it. And so I wasn't, it took a long time before I was making any money working in wine. But even so, I was, I had left a good job. I had a job in academia. That's a good job. Yeah. <laughs> I decided. That's what you like tell your parents about, you know, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. my mom used to brag about me a lot. Now she like works out how to, you know, <laughs> but, but. Um, Lane's in New Zealand drinking Chardonnay again. I don't know <laughs> what to say. Um, but, you know, so, but I had decided it wasn't right for me anymore. And so it, that left me with a really high standard to meet where I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to do work in wine that was less good than the job I'd left. So I really had to hold my feet to the fire only because of myself. And then I'm a pain in the ass with myself, you know, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so I um, I have done a few articles where I both illustrated and wrote the article, um, and but I usually kind of hold the illustrations in reserve. I don't do them as much. Um, I'll do I get to do really amazing at vertical tasting sometimes, and that seems like a good occasion to do an illustration. Yeah. So like I just got to do um, earlier this year, I got to taste all 20 vintages of Coors and Kronos. Wow. Mm. And um, the winery pulled bottles and I and held a room, and I just sat in the back for a full eight hours just tasting all 20 vintages really wow. slowly. And that's such a special thing to be able to do. 
and to have the luxury of that much time to do it that I turned it into a wall piece illustration to represent wow. the 20, kind of the evolution of, of change through the 20 vintages visually. Yeah. And wow. you, so you right. live here, you live here locally in Sonoma, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Where do you like to go eat when you go out? Well, so like if I just, if somebody's just popping into town and they haven't, um, they don't have a lot of time, but they want to see something fun in Sonoma, then I'll have them meet me at Psy downtown. Mm -hmm. And then if they're buying, I'll work in caviar, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Uh, Smart. Yeah. And, Smart. but then, you know, if it turns out they do want more food, we'll go next door to the tapas place, yeah. you know, Tos get, some Tosca, Tosca. Yeah, yeah. get some Portuguese food, Yeah. you know, um, the Tuesday night farmers market though samosas holy shit man when samosa carts there you got to do that like yeah. those are seasons back on last f for first uh, last night was last night right first market of the season oh are yeah. we already going yeah wow yeah. Uh, time's flying man I know <clears throat> yeah Tuesday nights Tuesday nights I used to work at the Girl and the Fig Tuesday nights were always it would depend on the weather. If it was nice weather, it was really slow with the girl in the fake because everyone was at the farmer's market. And then when it would rain, you're mm -hmm. like, ooh, we're going to yes. be busy tonight because everyone's going to come for the farmer's market and they want to run inside. <laughs> and you're the only <laughs> restaurant that's open on Tuesday nights on the plaza. Uh, is that true? And uh, can we're I ask you about, about Harvest Moon, what's going on over there? Do yeah. you know anything? I heard that they're closing. These are all rumors that I have not substantiated at all. I've heard the rumors. Doesn't seem to be the case on the ground. What they are doing is opening... Uh, bake shop kind of like cafe breakfast lunch spot where rocket used to be rocket right. sushi the uh, old mazetta so maybe brochure. people are just assuming yeah that. people are oh, okay. the, the fact is you know when you're opening a new place um i think the idea is when you have a successful old place that funds the new place so um as far as i've heard there's no yeah changes going on yeah, there. Yeah, because that place is good, too. Harvest yeah. Moon is a good place to go it's for a, dinner, for sure. You know, I don't know what my dad and Robert will do. That's the, the thing. That's yeah. I was like, that'll be a blow for your family, man. Yeah, it'll be. <laughs> That's why a, I was asking we Sam. We need to save the Katuris. Save Harvest Moon, you know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Clearly, a group in need. Man, you know what else, yeah. though? I'm actually psyched about the MacArthur Place reboot, that coffee shop there. That's a, that's a good I, little... Yeah, Alice That's a good little option. They went to the coffee shop. Yeah, they did a, like a Alice and another friend who just had babies. They walked to the coffee shop there and had really good things to. I've the heard like the good. dinners got to like maybe figure out opening a new restaurant like that. But the coffee shop is really good. Yeah, I haven't tried the food yet, no. but the coffee shop's good, and they put a full bar down inside too. That should be a good spot oh. too. And it, I mean, it's comfortable at least. Okay, I haven't had a drink there yet, but new place yeah. for. All those coffee and then cocktail Sonoma business meetings. Or then sometimes it's cocktail, then coffee. It all depends on whether you have to go back to work or not, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> or see your mother-in-law. All right, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, then it's cocktail yeah. and then cocktail, right? Yeah. <laughs> I love that commercial. Have you guys seen that commercial on TV where the guy's pulling up to the driveway in his, in his car and, the, and he gets a text message, but it comes through on the, on, the, on the Bluetooth or whatever. It says... Honey, see you when you get home. My mother dropped by, and then he's like throws it in reverse and starts backing out. And it says, "Where the beep are you going?" <laughs> funny, I laugh at that, and my wife doesn't think that's funny. Not at all. That's strange. Speaking of the phone ring, right, I don't wonder who that is. That's definitely Terry going. What's going on? 
And did you put the new soap out, right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, now that it's been used once, you probably need a new bar. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> Isn't that how it works I'm around so here? I'm glad she doesn't listen to the <laughs> podcast for another reason. Yeah. Now, I know. I almost want to go pull up your mattress and see if there's a P under, <laughs> <laughs> under that first mattress. <laughs> Is that your wife on the phone? I, it might have been. I okay. It's yeah, about it's the time that she gets in the car to drive home from the city, so it might be. Yeah, yeah. And me, my wife is in New York this week, just like just like John. So I've actually got to um, bounce and go go pick up the kid. Is that is that that are we reaching that time of like um, of like real hard stops on the podcast? Well, no. If new, you guys new territory, if if you guys want to continue, I can show you how to turn this thing off. If you want to. Take that chance. That's too much responsibility. Look at that. That's machinery over there. I feel like we still have a. I mean, we could we could talk with Elaine for. I have like seventeen more questions. I think. But well, we can, since she lives here locally, can yeah, we I think we have her back on the show I, and. Um, absolutely, happy to. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. And even even if we have a winemaker on, and just to have you come on and uh, and bounce and bounce around with us, make so them feel sure. uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's my job. Exactly. That's my job. Bring me in, make you uncomfortable. First question: Do you appreciate intelligent women? No. Oh, perfect. All right. Good. Uh, yeah. How about tall women? We have a we have a special guest host this week. <laughs> now, hi. I'm just here to intimidate you. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Keep you on pins and needles. Now, why did you make your Shannon Blanc like this? <laughs> now, if people want to re- either read some of your articles or look at some of the artwork, uh, where can they find? Yeah. So. Hawk Waka Waka, so bird, and then W-A-K-A-W-A-K-A. Uh, if you search that online, super easy to find me. I'm Hawk Waka Waka on Instagram as well. Um, and then my writing more readily comes up under my publishing name, which is Elaine Chacon Brown, C-H-U-K-A-N. Oh, I did pronounce it wrong. It's All okay. Right. All right. There's literally only one, per- well, two cases where it's been pronounced correctly by someone that's not my mom. And the one of the two times, um, it was actually a TV person reading from a teleprompter where it was sound out, spelled oh, out by sounds. Phonetically, yeah. 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 And so, and that's what he does for a living. So, of course, he did it correctly. And then the other one was a linguist whose entire job is to listen to pronunciation and repeat correct pronunciation. So, again, okay, you know. All right. I'm it, sure that the TV one made your mom really happy, though. Well, yeah, no, she, she was, was yeah, again, she's pregnant. It's her last name, so right, okay. you know, yeah. <laughs> I know. Do you think? Do you growing up in Alaska? Do you think people here are soft? Do you ever? Do you ever get upset with people when they complain about stupid shit? I've learned to ignore it. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, <laughs> yeah. but it took a really long time yeah. to ignore it. You know, I mean, especially just. I grew up commercial fishing. You know, yeah. like there's just a kind of um, resilience and and self-reliance you have to have or you'll literally die yeah you know and and so i've had to really i've actually even had to learn how to shift myself like this is an absurd example but it was not until i was 35 that it occurred to me it was acceptable to go use the bathroom just because you felt like it because (laughs) Going because growing up commercial fishing, I was in a situation where there was so much work to get be done. You just had to keep getting the work done, and that meant putting off any physical need as long as possible. And it turns out it's 
it's possible to put off a really long time and long longer than anybody believes is possible. And so I grew up with this sort of almost moral view that to be a good person, you had to forego food, water, and the toilet longer right. than most people <laughs> right. thought humanly possible. And so it was until 35 I realized, oh, my God, I don't actually have to do that. And maybe that's not literally a moral issue, yeah. <laughs> you know? And so that summer I had the realization, I decided the only way to fix this was to make it my goal for three months to pee as often as physically possible. <laughs> and so that whole summer, my friends had to be, I would go to the bathroom and I'd come back and they'd restart their conversation. I'd be like, I'm sorry, I'll be right back. And I, and I would, you know, I would like down water and go again. I was actually really liberating, you know? And just sort of had to reshape my thinking. But anyway, my point is, yeah, I've had to learn most people didn't grow up that way. And it's good that they didn't. And yeah. and so we all have different views of what's annoying and what we can manage and what to put up with and where carrots come from. <laughs> yeah, I just you think know? most of us growing up here, we have no idea what it's like on a day-to-day basis for, I mean, it's just basic survival. So it's it's weird when... I would just imagine coming from some place where you're self-reliant, self-sufficient to, to just how annoying it must be to hear stupid people complain about shit like well, <laughs> the thing about day-to-day mundane stuff where they're, you know, it's completely overtaking their their world and it's something that is just so stupid. The thing about Alaska is it's really it's also really remote. So you're in an extreme environment. It's really remote. There are literally wild animals in cities that can eat you and you can freeze to death in the middle of town. Like all this, all the stuff that could kill you is all there. And so you have to on your person and in your car, have all the stuff to save your own life. And you, and it's like just built into you. You don't even think about it, you know? And so, you know, I used to always have blankets and extra boots and extra coats and extra hats and a shovel and chains for my tires and flares and ways to light things on fire and all of that stuff in the car and so that was actually weird moving to california too i was you know i'd open somebody's trunk and i'd be like where are your winter clothes (laughs) (laughs) like where's your shovel what are you doing we're gonna die we're in santa cruz man what are you talking about (laughs) i'm a surfboard i have my bong (laughs) the fog's coming in later (laughs) but the um the thing about it being remote too though is like when stuff happens at a large scale they can't wait for outside help so like in the last year in alaska we had a you know was over seven point earthquake i can't remember the scale it was now but it's huge and it destroyed all of the major, a bunch of the major through fares, the roads, like destroyed them. It was impossible. Like there were all these photos of cars on I- asphalt islands because people had been driving wow. in the earthquake kit and then they were, they couldn't drive their car because they were surrounded by caverns, you know, and people would have to, my favorite story, this is so Alaskan. So there's this guy on it with his girlfriend driving on his way to the airport, earthquake kits, he's on the off ramp going to the airport ends up getting stuck on this asphalt island, can't drive. So he and his girlfriend get out of the car, grab their bags. The car behind them didn't get stuck. 
So that guy just, oh, he's like, get in. And so they jump in that car and they all go straight to the airport like no shit happened at all and just <laughs> abandon their car. And they're just like, didn't even occur to them that the, the <laughs> rain, runway might be screwed up too. Right. You which know? it was. Which it, well, it turned out actually, weirdly, the runway was okay. They did halt all flights to make sure the runway right. was okay. But by noon that day, flights were taking off again. So that is so Alaskan. But here's the thing, like... Again, can't wait for outside help. All those roads were fixed in two days. Wow. All of them. Yeah. That's what, you know, so it turns out there's a lot of buildings that are still really screwed up, but you, yeah, I just go to another building, you'll find, you know, right. but whereas the roads, man, you got, you know, fix that shit. So yeah. that's just, yeah, Alaska's like that. You're, a okay. lot of the, the thing, here's another way to think about the difference. If you grow up in a place like Alaska where you could literally die anytime, and that means you don't have time to waste. So negotiating isn't really a way of life. You, everybody just figures out what's got to get done. And you don't get, just do it. The warmer the place is, the prettier it is, the nicer it is, the more people are like, I don't know. What do you think we should do? <laughs> and all of a sudden, there's all this conversation that goes into making decisions. And right. Because really, people just want to hang out where it's nice, man. You know, And so it's okay to take time to figure it out. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a big difference between Alaska and California. I love that. Alaskan long-term parking at the airport. Right. Just, <laughs> just leave it in the middle of the <laughs> earthquake-ravaged road. Yeah. It'll be there when we get back. Just from jump that. the eight-foot cavern to our car. But, here's, yeah, exactly. but that, that car, that car I, I it was it. towed by the end of the day. Like, that's the thing. Like, think about that badass tow truck driver. Who he saw that. He's like, they're going to call me any minute. I'm going to have this shit figured out. He just towed these like huge planks threw them down over the caverns <laughs> and then towed the damn truck over the plant you know like he had a problem, problem solved within solved. a yeah. couple hours yep. and that car was moved by the end of the day in yeah. california everybody would be taking instagram photos of it and right just talking well about the car would still be there and, there'd be a study be new, be there's an endangered screaming <laughs> right right yes, <laughs> you know? yes there would yeah tears yeah. tears there's gotta be, be some local birds that are in danger <laughs> four or five <laughs> helicopters hovering over <laughs> the scene yeah. yeah oh my goodness yeah all right. Well, you guys, let's wrap this up. Okay. Uh, um, Elaine will get a hold of you through your Instagram as well as your website. We will post those on the um, on the episode notes. Um, Bart, you can always hit up uh, com if you want to get some of that fabulous Chenin Blanc and some of that double gold winning uh, Grenache and or cab. Sam, you got uh, three rosés going rosés. out, all different style. Seven. One is kosher, one's made with a French guy, and one's one's just like just the like rose. stuff you just pound on a daily basis. And I hope. And yeah. uh, and, and, and you also have a, a vinyl Sunday. Vinyl Sunday up. happening awesome. right now. Uh, it's Sonoma Signatures going on. If you're listening to this live, oh, that's right. Uh, Signature Sonoma Valley. Yep. Right, right. Um, what are you guys doing? Is, are you and or is your dad and yeah? Doing so the there's a the big bottle party. Um, but the thing that I'm involved in, I'm, I'm actually really excited about the dinner, the sort of gala dinner culmination of the weekend. Um, they're calling it. Uh, 
Legends Icons legends. is the one you're pouring. Icons, I'm at uh, Legends dinner, and um, yeah, those are it's, gonna be awesome. It's gonna be really. It's it's there's, there's featuring some super good stuff that we sixteen vineyards instead of wineries. So, um, and on that list is four that we're involved with. So, Cayman, uh, Moon Mountain, Laurel Glen, and Rossi Ranch. So, I'm gonna be sitting at the Rossi Ranch table um, with the owners, some folks from Carlisle. We have some old Rossi Ranch wines to pour. Um, yeah, it's the vineyard my parents met picking grapes at forty awesome. something years ago. Um, so I'm ex- I'm I'm st- and we're out in the Durrell Vineyard. It's gonna be like full moon rising over the Carneros as we do this. It's gonna be a pretty cool thing. Yeah. So I'm excited about oh, that. Yeah. yeah. And I'm pouring at the Icon tasting on Friday night. And Brian, if you're not working, you want to come be my uh, pouring partner and we awesome. can take turns. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah. So we'll talk Icon. about that. Yeah. Ramsgate, and it'll, I mean it's the night before the full moon, so it'll be pretty cool out there too. Yeah. With the and then it ends on Sunday with uh, uh, brunch and bubbles. Brunch and bubbles, and then the unofficial signature Sonoma Valley after party is final Sunday. Right. The officially unofficial because Maureen talked about it already, so now it's officially. Wow. The unofficial after party. Go. Lot going on. And we rose party coming up at uh, Sonoma's best. Todd Jolly. Oh, Sonoma's best. I think, I, I, think I have Jolly. four free tickets now. Right. Okay. Uh, shout out to the girl in the fig. I don't know if you guys picked up your uh, wine club shipments yet. Uh, I, no, I, I got my notification that it's there waiting for me. Yeah, it's coming they, the other day. It was a uh, rose that was made by Adam Webb from Cochon. It's uh, the Rousson that was made, I think, by Kievelstad. Jordan Kievelstad did that. Yeah. And then uh, and then you got a bottle of Campo Vita. Um, Carnion or Grenache? I forget. But uh, I think Carnion. Yeah. No, That's all really good. That's Brunch in Town, Girl and Fig, too. Uh, for really sure. Yeah. 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 And if you're gluten-free, you can eat pancakes there, by the way. Duh. Shout out to the gluten freaks out there. Yeah. Fist in the air. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And you can always find our episodes. If you want to go back and listen to some previous episodes, go to RadioMisfits.com. You can find us on uh, Stitcher and uh, figure Spotify. Out what, figure out what the Stitcher Spotify thing is. And... Um, um, some of those other things that we're not exactly sure what the names are, but uh, <laughs> but I'm sure that if you go we're to so radiomisfits.com, they probably have those little like logos there that represent. No, because I think I think the Pod Father wants everybody just to come through. Yeah. Radio Misfits. Oh, right. But okay. if there's places to review wherever you listen to your podcasts, give us a review. That's how things happen in the podcast world. And well, no, give us a five star review. Five star review. If it's not a five star review, right. Do it on Levy Dalton's. <laughs> Levy Dalton, perfect. <laughs> he appreciates those too. We don't. And Levy, if you're listening, we love you. Yeah, yeah we sure do. Please All listen. Right. <laughs> this has been the winemakers. We'll look forward to talking to you next week. Thank you.